Let's all stand together as we sing and raise our hearts to the King.
who you are is all around us. We also have it in the form of your word. God, may we spend our time each and every day in your word and in looking and observing the world in which you have created. And may we glorify you and praise you for all that you have done. And in Jesus we find it here in this place this You may be seated. And as you're seated, video is going to come on the screen. Highlights of Vacation Bible School. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. In the beginning, God made it. 
As you can see, we had a great time in Vacation Bible School, and as you can also see, we wore a lot of people out, and, uh, and so, uh, uh, but uh, we had a great time this past week. Happy Father's Day to all of our fathers, and uh, we want to say uh, Happy Father's Day to you. If you did not pick up a dog tag uh, on your way in there at one of the doors, make sure you pick up a dog tag. Uh, on your way out, and uh, Raymond, uh, those are uh, from Shields of Faith, and uh, uh, Raymond will uh, share a little bit more about those with you here uh, in a moment. And also, when we begin this next set of songs, if you have not registered for the drawing for the Astros tickets, uh, you can do that right out here at the Connection Center, and we're going to give you permission uh, during uh, this next set of songs to just slip out and uh, get registered for that because we will be announcing the winner at the end uh, of the service, and we want to make sure that everybody's had a chance uh, to uh, sign up uh, to be a part of that of that drawing. And so, but let's pray together uh, and uh, and pray with me um, uh, for uh, our dads 
for those, uh, for our dads who have uh, gone on uh, before us, and, uh, and then most importantly, the example that we have through uh, our Heavenly Father uh, as well. Father, we are so grateful. We are grateful your, for your grace and your love and your mercy that you pour out upon us daily. Father, we are grateful for your word that guides us. Father, as we seek to be the dads that you would have us to be, we can find that instruction that you give us in the Bible, in your holy word. And Father, I pray that as dads that we are immersing ourselves in your word so that we might learn more about you, that we might become more like you, and that, Father, we would be the earthly fathers that you would have us, that you would have us to be. Father, I thank you for all the fathers that are represented here in this room. Father, I thank you for the dad you blessed my life with and the example that he was for me. Father, may we not take fatherhood lightly. But may we but we may we recognize it for the importance that it is. The impression that we are able to make, the example that we are able to set. And Father, there are going to be those times when we don't do it to the best of our ability or we don't do it the way that we should but Father it's never too late it's never too late to start over again and so Father as we as we celebrate this Father's Day, may it be more than just a day on the calendar, but may it be a day that we look to you, our Heavenly Father, and we worship and celebrate you and look to live our lives according to your ways to be the fathers that you would have us to be. Father, now as we continue to worship, May we focus our eyes on you and give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen.
Jesus, your name is great, and it deserves to be praised. May that be our life's cry each and every day that we would glorify and praise your name by the way we live, by the way we talk, speak, the way we walk our lives. May Jesus' name be praised.
Stand with me as we pray. Just wait a moment, ladies. Well, some of you are saying, where's Raymond? I understand. He's actually here, but not here. No, he's really not here. He's sick. He's lost his voice. But luckily, he recorded a message for the TV broadcast that uh, started an hour ago at 10 o'clock, and we're going to share that with you this morning. So if you would take your attention to the screen, Raymond's going to deliver his Father's Day message to us. We just finished up a busy week with Vacation Bible School. It was a great week, and I hope your week has gone well. And here we are on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of you who are men enjoying the privilege of being a dad. Reminds me of comedian Mike Dugan. He was talking about his mixed emotions on Father's Day. He said, I'm, I'm glad my children remember me, but I'm disappointed that they actually think I dress that way. Well, we've all received things as dads that didn't quite fit into our wardrobe schemes, but we're grateful for our kids. I am so thankful to be a dad of two wonderful grown kids and to be pappy to four beautiful granddaughters. And I'm also thankful for my dad's influence, my dad who's now been in heaven for four years. I'm grateful for his influence in my life and the difference that's made. I'm thankful for my 88-year-old father-in-law, the difference that he has made in my life during these nearly 36 years of marriage to his daughter. And also, it is an honor for me to carry my grandfather's name, Raymond Everett McHenry, who died in 1967 when I was just the age of eight. And it's an honor to carry his name and represent him. Well, as we honor dads today, we're gonna go all the way back to the Old Testament to look at a father figure who offers us a very interesting perspective on this indispensable role of being a dad. Now Gideon is a very familiar name to all of us, probably because of a decision that he had to make utilizing the fleece. Probably all of us have said, I'm gonna put out the fleece. Well, it's important for us to understand the context of Gideon's life to truly understand his story. Gideon lived during a time known as the Judges. It was an era, very dark era in Hebrew history. The people of God, had come into the promised land, you trace it back. Remember, they came out of Egypt as slaves, being redeemed and delivered by God, wandered through the wilderness in great part because of their disobedience. And then Joshua led them into the promised land. And once they had conquered the promised land, then they abandoned God. And that's called the period of judges, about 400 years in which these people lived through a very repetitious cycle. It went like this. They would serve God, and then they would abandon God. And in the midst of their sin, God would then send in an enemy to discipline them and direct their attention back to him. They would cry out to God. God would then send them a judge to deliver them, and they would regain their focus on God, only to repeat it once again. And that cycle repeated itself over and over for 400 years, typically in a cycle of about 40 years. Twice in the book of Judges, we hear this statement that is very apropos and very relevant for us today in our culture. 
It says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no standard leadership. Everyone was just existentially deciding what was right and what was wrong. They were deciding what was going to be their truth. Probably the most famous judge of all is Samson, who lived during that 400-year period of time, and his story picks up several chapters after Gideon. Gideon's role in human history took place about a century and a half before King David. During that 400 years that had that very repetitive cycle, Gideon is somewhere just a little bit past the halfway point. His story picks up in Judges chapter 6. It goes in chapter 6, 7, and 8. Today we're going to look primarily at chapter 6 and 7. Chapter 6 of Judges opens up with us finding out that the people have rebelled against God once again. God has sent the Midianites to serve as a discipline against the people to turn their attention back to God. And for seven years, the Midianites have literally been ravaging their country. They came on perpetual raids in which they would do such great havoc that the people actually lived in caves and makeshift shelters in the mountains just to get away from the Midianites because they were so brutal. The Bible describes them like locusts. There were so many of them, you couldn't even begin to count them. And they were so destructive because nothing survived their wake. They stole all of the crops and then they destroyed the land. Old Testament talks about those who would go into the waters and then they would muddy the waters after they had finished. That's kind of the way the Midianites were. They came in, they took everything that they wanted, and then they destroyed everything else. So in the middle of all of that, God's people cry out for God to help them and give deliverance. And the angel of the Lord responds to their cries for help by going to Gideon, and they find Gideon, who is threshing wheat in a wine press. Why? Because if he was threshing the wheat out on the threshing floor, the Midianites would see him and they would come and steal what he had. So he's down in a wine press trying to, to stay where the Midianites can't see him just so they'll have enough food to survive. The angel of the Lord comes to him. <laughs> Think about this again. The Midianites had completely devastated their land, dominated them in every way. Gideon is down in a wine press, threshing wheat, trying to keep it hidden from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord comes and gives him this greeting of mighty warrior. Gideon responds by saying, excuse me, I think you've got the wrong number here. I am the weakest in my clan of Manasseh, and I am the very least in my family. Meaning, you're calling me a mighty warrior, and there's no one that you could find lower than me. And God replied, I know exactly who you are, and that's why I will be with you. Well, Gideon was suspicious because everything seemed to be going against him. Could God really be calling him? He needed a sign. Now, we're thinking about the fleece, but we're not there yet. He asked for a sign, and the first sign was he went out and he, he made a sacrifice to the Lord. He went and got a goat. He made unleavened bread, and he brought it, and he set it on a rock as a sacrifice of worship to God, seeking to better understand if God was really calling him to deliver the people. And the first sign was the angel of the Lord took his staff touched the sacrifice on the rock and completely consumed it in fire. 
Gideon then knew that God must be calling him to do something, but he didn't yet know what it was. Later that night, God came to him and gave him his orders. All of the people that were rebelling against God, why was God disciplining them? Because they were worshiping Baal, an idol, an idol that couldn't breathe, couldn't help, couldn't see. And they were bowing down to a godless God. God called Gideon to destroy the altar of Baal and to tear down the Asherah pole, which was a part of the pagan worship. He said, I want you to destroy Baal's altar, tear down the Asherah pole, and then I want you to build a new altar to God and offer a sacrifice using the Asherah pole, the pagan pole, use it for the fire to bring a sacrifice to God. Gideon was still a little bit unsure about himself, so he did all of that in the cloak of darkness in the middle of the night. When the people woke up in his community and they discovered that the altar to Baal had been destroyed, they were furious. Can you imagine? Furious that an idol had been destroyed. When they found out that Gideon had done it, they wanted to kill him. And Gideon's father offers some incredible logic. He said, if Baal is really a god, then he can defend himself. We could sure use some logic like that today. If this is really truth, then let it stand as truth. If Baal's really a god, let him defend himself. And so the people backed off, and Gideon felt as if God was truly calling him. It says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. That's a great uh, reminder to us how blessed we are as Christians living in the era after Christ with the Holy Spirit. Because in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people for a certain task. In the New Testament, we are promised that the Holy Spirit comes into us as believers of Christ. So we have the power of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within us. With the Spirit of God upon him, Gideon sent out a call for men to come and establish an army that would go against the Midianites, and 32,000 guys showed up. That was a pretty good-sized army, but it was nothing in comparison to the army that they were going against. They were going to be going against the Midianites and the Amalekites, and they had 132,000 troops. From the very beginning, Gideon's army was outnumbered four to one. So Gideon asked for another sign. Saying, Lord, are you sure you want me to, to go out and fight against the Midianites? We, it, it, they have four times as many men as us. And this time, he went to the fleece. He said, God, I'm going to put out a fleece. And if you would be so gracious, when I put that fleece out tonight, if you would allow the fleece to be completely covered in dew and all of the ground around it to be dry. He got up the next morning touched the fleece. It was so wet that he could literally squeeze out a full bowl of dew from the fleece. And most of us would think, well, that would be enough for me. That's what we talk about. I'm putting out a fleece. But he was still uncertain. He said, God, please don't be angry with me. But this time when I put out the fleece tonight, I'm going to ask that the fleece would be dry and the ground all around it would be wet. Got up the next morning. It was exactly as he requested so he felt as if God was calling him, but then God said to him, just after Gideon felt like that he was getting some affirmation about what he was supposed to do with his army that was outmanned four to one, then as soon as he gets finished with the fleece, God says, oh, by the way, 
you still have way too many men. If you guys go out now with 32,000, even though you're outnumbered four to one, you might win and think that you were the ones who did it. You did it without me. And so God said, what I want you to do is I want you to send, send home every man who is afraid. 32,000 men, anybody who's afraid, go home. Whoa, all of a sudden, 22,000 men went home. The odds dramatically cut from four to one to 13 to one. And here is Gideon standing with 10,000 troops. He just lost two thirds of his army. And he wonders, what in the world am I gonna do? God says, I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. Thin the herd again. By now Gideon's saying, what in, I can't even believe this. And God said, I want you to take all the men down to the river. And you'll notice that some of the men will stick their hand into the water, they'll cup their hand and they'll bring it up to their mouth and will drink like a dog. And some of them will get down on all fours and they'll just stick their head in the water and they'll just be just sucking that water up right out of the stream. And God said, you watch the men and those that bring the water up in the cup of their hand, very important, in the hand, those are the guys I want. And sure enough, 300 men did that. So now Gideon is outnumbered 400 to one. But again, let's not forget the symbolism there. God says, I'm gonna deliver the Midianites into your hands. And he chose the men who put the water in their hands to be his fighting army of 300 to go against 132,000. It seemed like everything was against him, seemed impossible. And here is Gideon standing on the outskirts of the Midianite camp. And he's thinking to himself, God, are, are you sure that you've called me to do this? And God gives him one more sign. He says, Gideon, get up. I want you to go down to the edge of the Midianite camp and I'm gonna show you something. So Gideon gets up in the middle of the night with his servant. They go to the edge of the Midianite camp and all of a sudden they overhear two men talking about the dream that one of them had. This Midianite soldier is explaining about a nightmare in which he woke up and there was this large loaf of barley, barley bread, tumbling through the Midianite camp and knocking over and destroying the tent. Now, when we hear something like that, we would say, well, that sounds like kind of a crazy dream. But his friend immediately interpreted that and he said, that can only be a sign that Gideon is going to completely destroy the Midianites tonight. Well, Gideon, empowered by what he had heard, the confidence that God had instilled in him, ran back to his 300 men. He broke them up into three groups of 100, had them surround the camp, and notice what they're armed with. They are armed with a trumpet, a clay pot, and a torch. Now you're thinking, okay, they're already 400 to one here. There's only 300 of them. And they're gonna fight with a torch, a pot, and a trumpet. And that's exactly what they did. Gideon said, you just keep your eye on me and do exactly as I say. So they surrounded the camp in groups of three, 100 each. And when Gideon gave the order, they blew their trumpet, woke every man up in the Midianite camp. 
and then they crashed the clay pots, and inside the plot, pots were a torch, and they held their torches high. And all of a sudden, the Midianites looked out, and all they saw was this thunderous noise and all of this light surrounding the camp. Chaos ensued, and what happened next was certainly supernatural and impossible. The Midianites were in such great chaos that they began to turn on one another. We go into Judges chapter 8, and we won't cover that now, but it just talks about how the Midianites were completely routed. And the rest of Israel joined in the pursuit of the Midianites, and only 15,000 were left before the rest came to help. It was a complete miracle of God's deliverance. And it tells us that after all of this victory had occurred in Judges chapter 8, verse 28, that the victory was so complete that the people of God experienced peace for the next 40 years throughout the remainder of Gideon's life. It's quite a story from human history, but pretty amazing that we're still telling it some 3,200 years later on Father's Day. Why? Because of its eternal relevance. Today, very simply, I hope that we will see two essential truths. Number one, you matter. And number two, it matters what you do. You see, Gideon said what most all of us as men say when we think about our life. Who am I? Especially when God calls us to do something. Who am I to, to do something like that, whether it's great or small? And God's spoken to him. He said, Gideon, you think that you are the least of the least, but I'm calling you a mighty warrior. We're not mighty warriors based upon what we can do by ourselves. We become mighty warriors when we are empowered by God, when our life is completely surrendered to him, and we allow God to work through us. You know, the dream that that Midianite soldier had is telling. He saw a loaf of barley bread rolling through a camp and destroying the tents. What was a loaf of barley bread? It was the most common and the cheapest form of bread. God wasn't talking about somebody that was powerful and influential or wealthy. He was talking about the most common of men, the cheap loaf of barley bread, Gideon. That's how Gideon saw himself, but God still chose to use him in a mighty way. Some of us feel like we're just common old folks. And truthfully, we are. But with God, the scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 4, all things are possible with Christ. So God reminded Gideon that he mattered. He saw himself as inconsequential, and God said, no, you matter. And what you do matters. By surrendering himself to God's plan, Gideon was able to do something that truly mattered and made a difference in the lives of many people. Now, we may not conquer an army like Gideon, but what you do and what I do, it, it matters. And the most important thing that we can do with our life is to love God and to love our families. Understand that the extension continues on like, like the ripples in a pond. But for us to love God and to love our families, that's making our life matter, and it's making what we do matter the very most. 
Lieutenant Colonel Kip Taylor died at the age of 38 on September 11, 2001, when terrorists flew an American Airlines jet into the Pentagon. Just an hour before that plane hit and took his life, he had sent out an email to his friends and family just talking about the wonders of fatherhood and how it had so significantly changed his life. He talked about that moment when he would get home from work and enter into the house and he would say to his wife, hi, honey, I'm home. And then he said, and listen to this, my conclusion is that what we do until that moment pales in comparison to what we do after that moment in the day. Here's a man who works at the Pentagon, great prestige, power, significance, and influence. And he said, all of that is important. It matters. But what matters most is when I come home and I love my family. Friends, God has called us to know that we matter and what we do matters a lot. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ so you can truly understand that you matter and what you do matters? God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him. That alone tells you that you matter. And what you do will matter more. It will matter most when you enter into a relationship with him. But that's not a relationship that we can just automatically have. So many people believe that they're automatically going to heaven simply because of who they are. Our sin, the Bible tells us, separates us from holy God. We cannot enter into a relationship with God on our own. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. He is the only one that can make our life right with God. All we have to do is embrace Him as our Lord and Savior, to humbly repent of our sins. That means to turn away from our sins and turn to God. We fully surrender our life to Christ. And that's why on this Father's Day, we are giving out these dog tags to all of our fathers. It's a statement about a man named Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. When that's the truth of our life, we will matter, and what we do will indeed matter very much. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, thank you for all of the men who so faithfully serve as fathers to raise up each and every generation to follow hard after you. I pray for those who are discouraged and facing difficulty, adversity, those who find a, a level of sadness on this particular Father's Day. Lord, that you would minister to them and uplift them and encourage them, speak into their lives. Father, remind them, just as if they feel like Gideon, that they're inconsequential, that they too can be a mighty warrior by having a relationship with you. If any of these friends of mine have never received Christ, I pray that today they would voice a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Father, thank you for looking upon us and telling us that we matter so much that you would willingly give your life to redeem us from our sins. I pray that all of us would live a life that matters, live a life that honors you in all that we do, that we would truly follow hard after you. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening and happy Father's Day. Let's all stand together. Deacons, if you would stand out in the aisles or in the back, and if you need to talk to somebody and pray with somebody today, they will be there and be available. Let's sing together Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see.
Can you bring the lights back up and Jeff? This morning, and uh, just uh, a quick announcement uh, for our senior adults. Uh, please remember that our Bible study at 4.30 uh, this Wednesday will pick back up. We took a break because of Vacation Bible School, but our senior adult Bible study will resume this Wednesday uh, at uh, 4.30. Uh, we'll be continuing uh, with the book of Acts, and anyone is welcome uh, to join us at that time if you would uh, like uh, to do so. The winner of our uh, Astros tickets, and again, we want to say thank you to Kate and Meredith Burnson for the donation of these tickets, And uh, but the winner, the winner of the tickets is Charles Mitchell. And so, Charles, if you will meet me in the foyer. Uh, we'll get all of the logistics uh, taken care of there. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, pray for Raymond that he'll uh, get his uh, voice back and uh, pray for those others that, uh, that we know that are sick. Uh, but thank you so much for being here this morning. Have a great Father's Day and God bless. <laughs>